morning. It's nice to be back in Malaysia. Um, one of the really great things that I've liked about being back is being able to catch up on all the news. Um, I'm, I'm staying at Andrew and Judy's house. Do you know their daughters, Hannah and Beth? There's so much news I've been learning from them over the dinner table. And for example, who is... Is this working? Who is this man? Do you know anyone? Oh, yes? Zayn Malik, genius. Yeah, apparently he's called Zayn Malik from a band called One Direction. Yeah? I had no idea. But did you know, exciting news, he's just got engaged. Isn't that amazing? Um, and that's not all. Okay, who knows who these are? <laughs> Joyce knows. <laughs> yeah, what are their names? Well, if not for Beth, I wouldn't have known either, but they're actually called Sam, Alex and Clover from Totally Spies. They've saved the world so many times, and I just didn't know. Well, this has got me thinking about role models and celebrities. So let's play the celebrity game. Who would you rather be? Would you rather be this man or this man? <laughs> Do you know who these are? Uh, I asked Andrew, he thought that was maybe David Beckham, it's quite close. Uh, <laughs> Wayne Rooney or Justin Bieber? Yeah, so who would you rather be? <laughs> uh, well, you can fill it in on your handouts if you want to. Okay, round two. Who would you rather be? Um, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you a secret. One of these two people is my secret role model. <laughs> Can you guess who it might be? Is it Beyonce, a singer, or Don Carson, a famous Christian scholar? Actually, the answer is it's Don Carson, a Christian scholar. Um, my claim to fame is I have been personally scolded by Don Carson for taking a photograph of him while he was preaching. And if you want, you can have that same honour as well. Just go, as I was saying, to the Crown Valley Bible Conference in September. Uh, okay. Round three, last, last one. Who would you rather be? An unknown child or a rich young ruler? Today, Jesus has a warning for us, and it's in Mark. Chapter 10, verse 31. It summarizes the whole passage, and I put it on the screen first. Let's read this together. One, two, three. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus warns us in our passage that many who seem to be successful in this life will have no place in the kingdom of God. That people who this world looks down to, many of them will be welcomed into heaven. So, who would you rather be? An unknown child or a rich young ruler? I think it's pretty obvious uh, that who Jesus' disciples would have picked, of course, they would have chosen the rich young ruler. Those disciples were always playing the celebrity game, always arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus says there's no place for that in my kingdom. And in today's passage, Jesus gives his disciples two big shocks. First, in verses 13 to 16, the last are first. And then, verses 17 to 31, the first are last. Okay, so let's start with 13 to 16. The last are first. 
And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. As you know, I come from a country called Wales. But actually, the truth is, I'm English. And there are some things that the English are very famous for. You might think of tea, um, drinking tea. Also, of course, there is ah, the orderly queue. The sign of English civilization. Polite, efficient, and above all, it's very, very fair. Not for us this time. Elbowing your way through the crowd at the LRT station. No, no, no. We will stand patiently and wait our turn. Each person at the proper time will reach the front, and when we get there, everyone will know that we deserve to be there. We've earned our place. Do you know, it's actually one thing that really, really annoys an Englishman. Pushing in. I've done all that hard work of waiting patiently. Oh, and someone jumps in front of me. Of course, I don't say anything English, but what am I thinking? Thinking, what on earth are you doing? You have no right to be here. Don't you realise I've been patiently waiting for five minutes now? Get back to the end of the line, young whippersnapper, where you belong. And that's what I'm thinking. So, in verse 13, I can understand what's going through the disciples' minds. When these people are pushing through to see Jesus with these little children, I can feel their pain. Stop this, stop this, what are you doing? Stop bringing these bothersome babies. You've got no right to be up here. Jesus is a very busy man. He's not come all the way down from Galilee to bless your babies. He's got much more important things to do with much more important people than you. He's not wasting his time and ours. And to the disciples, these children are the last. They've got no status, nothing to offer. They belong quite clearly at the end of the queue. But how does Jesus see things? Exactly the opposite. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The disciples put the children at the back of the queue. Uh, thanks, Tim. But Jesus put them right up front. In Jesus' kingdom, the last are first. In fact, not only does he give them a special place up front, Jesus even makes them our role models. Verse 15. And truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Jesus has turned the queue for heaven back to front. The only way to receive the kingdom of God is to be like a child. Not like the disciples, but like a child. What does Jesus mean? Some people have misunderstood Jesus here. They thought, oh, little children, they're so, so pure and sweet and innocent. So the way to heaven is to be pure and sweet and innocent too. Is that right? Is uh, Jesus telling us we need to be pure and sweet and innocent? Ooh, well, 
If so, there's no hope for any of us. Well, speaking for myself, I'm looking at you anyway. Um, well, in a moment, Jesus is going to tell us that there's no one good except God alone. And anyway, even little children are naughty sometimes. So what is Jesus saying? In what way um, are we meant to take these children as our role models? Well, here's a clue. The clue is in the word, receive. Eternal life is a gift we receive. We don't buy it, we don't earn it. We never could. It's far too valuable for that. So we simply receive it for free. Just like a little baby taking a bottle of milk. Have you ever seen a baby bargaining? Standing up in their nappies and, and listing all their achievements and successes and their social status? Of course not. They just receive it for free. And if you're a Christian, Jesus says, this is a picture of you. There you are, verse 16. Small, weak, helpless. Just lying there in Jesus' arms and being blessed by him. That's the door to the kingdom of heaven. Not boasting, but trusting in Jesus. And I'm sure most of us all know all this already. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, not by our works, not by good works we've done. We know all the jargon, don't we? But do we live it out? Do we live as if grace were true? Or do our mouths and our lives tell different stories? We can find out quite easily. Um, because when we forget grace, we'll start to act, not like little children, but like the disciples, living for earthly success, which opens a door to pride, and so to look down on people Jesus has accepted. Are there Christians you aren't willing to put yourself out for? Brothers and sisters, you treat as outsiders. People you wouldn't dream of making any sacrifice to welcome. Maybe Christians you wouldn't sit next to in church. Because, well, to be painfully honest, you just don't think they're, they're worth your time. Last month I was in East Malaysia, and um, I, I met a lady who was a Christian. And so she told me her story. Uh, after she converted, she went to the Roman Catholic Church because she wanted to get baptised. But the priest said no. She asked a second time, again, he said no. The third time, she went back, he said, okay, I'll do it, but let me just check first with the bishop. He checked with the bishop, the bishop said no. So she fled all the way to the Philippines, trying desperately to find a church that would accept her and baptise her. Eventually, she found a priest who would do it. And it meant so much to her, I was so surprised. As she told me about the moment she was baptised, she broke into tears. She said, at last, a priest that didn't reject me. When she came back to Malaysia and went to church, some auntie in the congregation said, Oh, you're very brave to come here. If they, you know, if they catch you, you'll be closed down. And it was then she realised that actually they wanted nothing to do with her. And so she left the church. She broke contact with all her friends because not one of them would risk being associated with her. And after telling me this story, she said these words. The Bible's word is so sweet that the church is so different. They won't leave the 99 sheep for the one. Why would Christians treat their sister like that? Is it really only fear? 
Or could a part of it be pride? A gospel-denying pride that won't accept that we all stand on level ground before Jesus. And we need his grace no more and no less than she does. We have no right to look down on anyone, especially not people that Jesus has accepted. So that's the first job for Jesus' disciples. In Jesus' kingdom, grace rules. And so in Jesus' kingdom, the last are first. But that's not all. Because also, in Jesus' kingdom, the first are last. Verses 17 and 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandment. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, but he had great possessions. You can tell me, what's the difference between the rich young man and the little children? Oh, actually, pretty much everything is different, isn't it? Um, so first of all, did the disciples try and stop him from coming out to see Jesus? No, no, it never even crossed their minds. They were probably in awe of this man. I wonder, maybe some of them were thinking, to introduce my daughter to this man. <laughs> Let me just look at verse 17. He runs up to Jesus. He's, he's energetic and earnest. And then he kneels down. He's humble as well. Is he religious? Yeah. Moral? Absolutely. Look at all the commands he's kept. Tick, 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 tick. He's polite. And then on top of that, what do we find out in verse 22? He's not just rich. He had great possessions. And then Luke's Gospel adds in that he's a ruler, influential. And Matthew tells us that he's young. Honestly now, any of you parents here this morning, would you not want a man like that to be your son-in-law? <laughs> to the disciples, this man was the first of the first. But to Jesus, he was last. The exact opposite of the little child. For all his polite morality... He's not living by grace. He's a self-made man, committed to making it on his own in this life and in the next one. We see that in his opening words, in verse 17. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The whole question is wrong. Eternal life is not something you can earn. We perceive it like a little child, or not at all. And Jesus gives the richer man three chances to see this. The first is in verse 18. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I think this is a verse that also people sometimes misunderstand. At university I had a friend called Hugo. Um, and uh, we studied physics together. We had loads of great conversations about science and Christianity. And uh, I took every chance I could to invite him to church and to evangelistic events, guest night, whatever I could. Any visiting speaker, he was my evangelistic target. Oops. Anyway, uh, 
At one time, he, his defences broke, and he actually came, along with um, some of my other friends. And so, there we were, all outside the auditorium. Of course, we were queuing up, of course, very orderly. And I put Hugo here, and then me here, and all my other friends over there, so that Hugo wouldn't be able to infect them with all his hostile questions. And then we went in, and we sat down on our seats. They put Mark's Gospels for us to read. So, Hugo picks up his Mark's Gospel, and says, the Bible is full of contradictions. I bet you I can find a contradiction. So, flicks it open, randomly, Mark 10, scans through. Aha! Contradiction, he says. Look, verse 18, Jesus says he's not God. But in other parts, of course, Jesus says he is God. So, yeah, contradiction. Black and white contradiction. So what do I do? Quickly, I looked over to my friends, make sure they hadn't heard. And then, I thought, what am I going to say? Before I can say anything... The speaker stood up, and he says, right, now please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at the story of the rich young man. <laughs> um, my friend's face went bright red, so funny. God's got such a good sense of humour. Um, anyway, what is Jesus saying in verse 18? Is Jesus saying he's not God? Of course not. Um, Jesus is saying to the rich man, look, if you think I'm just a teacher... Just a teacher, then stop calling me good. In fact, all I am, because by the standards of eternal life, no one is good except God alone. Jesus' point? Only God is good enough for heaven. And so, rich young man, you aren't. That was his first chance. His first chance to see that he could never make it to heaven by his own effort. It's only by grace. He misses it. So, Jesus gives him two more chances. Next, verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Do you know um, the expression, faint praise? Faint praise. At Bible college, I handed in an essay once. I got it back. All that was written on it was, nice bibliography. <laughs> that's what the marker said that's called faint praise it's like uh, you invite your friend round and you cook them a wonderful dinner afterwards you ask them how was the meal and, and they say well, well yeah, I, I thought the presentation was very nice that's um, a faint praise um, it's, it looks like a compliment on the surface but by so obviously missing the main point actually it condemns that's, I think, what Jesus is doing here. In verse 19, of course, he lists the Ten Commandments. But doesn't he? Hang on. Let's have a quick count. How many commandments does he, does he list here? One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, hang on. Six. Only six. I thought there were ten. Oh. And all the ones he's, he's quoted are the ones about loving other people. So what's Jesus deliberately left out? All, all the ones about... Loving God. It's faint praise. It's nice presentation. And he's doing a good job relating to other people, but that's, that's actually the secondary concern. The most important thing is, how is he doing with God? Is he really putting God first? Or actually, is he living his life for an idol? Though he doesn't see it. Teacher, he replies, all these I've kept since my youth. So in love, Jesus spells it out. 
and sets him a test that cuts right at his deepest motives. Verses 21 and 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The rich young man went away from Jesus sad. He failed the test. He couldn't give up his money for Jesus, and so he gave up Jesus for his money. It's not that being rich is bad in itself. There are rich Christians in the early church, people like Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus never told them to sell everything and give it all away. No, being rich isn't, isn't in itself wrong. But being rich is dangerous. As someone said, the real question is not, do you have money? But does money have you? The more we have, the, the easier it gets to trust in that, instead of trusting in Jesus. I think money is something that makes little children grow up. So they can no longer receive the kingdom of God by faith. How does that make you feel? Worried? Well, the disciples were. Verses 23 to 27. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Actually, I don't think worry is a strong enough word for these disciples. I think a better word is despair. They're thinking, if, if that polite, rich, earnest, moral, influential, religious young man doesn't make it, then what hope is there for any of us? And Jesus says, you're right. You're right, no hope at all. It's like trying to squeeze a camel into the eye of a needle. With man it's impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. I think that's the other side of the coin. So, if we live for earthly success, uh, life's all about comparisons, isn't it? As we've seen, we will either be proud and then look down on people that Jesus accepted, or the opposite. We will look up to people who reject Jesus and despair when we see how inadequate we are by comparison. Do you hear that in Peter's voice, verse 28? Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Is it all a waste? Is it all a waste? Jesus, we've lost our jobs to follow you. We've lost our homes. We've lost our families. We've sacrificed our futures to follow you. Is that still not enough? Is it all a waste? I have a friend back in London, and she's from Iran, and her name is Manaz. Last year, Manaz came to London to study, 
And she became a Christian. And now her family won't speak to her. Except for one message she got from her brother-in-law. You mustn't come back here, he says. Everyone knows what you've done. They'll arrest you at the airport. Manas can never get home again. Is it all a waste? If you met Manas, what would, what would you say to her? What would Jesus say to her? I think maybe, perhaps, verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake, and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. When Angie asked me to preach on Mark 10, I sent Manaz an email. I asked her if she had any thoughts on these verses that she would let me share with us today. Let me read you her reply. You know, I'm really shocked when I read your email. Those verses you're going to preach are my favourite. I wrote them in two languages and hung them on the wall in my room. It is my pleasure if I can help you and also be an encouragement for others. My parents were the only close friends, the only support and the only love that I had in my life. I'd love to share with them how I found the true love and the true God who is alive, who changed me completely. But life is not always as we expect. When they made sure I was serious in my decision, they cut off everything, any support and any more care, just because I followed Jesus. It was really difficult for me to deal with. It is really tough. But when I miss them, the Lord just reminds me of his promises. Whoever leaves his mother, father, brother and sisters and follows me, I will give him or her a much bigger present. And he's done that for me. Now I have lovely church families in London and some other brothers and sisters in Northern Ireland and all over the world who are my family in Christ with much love and support. Jesus is working in my life every second, every moment and every day. I love my parents more than before. And I believe they love me as well, just they need prayer at the moment. I must not go back to my country because almost everyone knows about my conversion, so it is not secure. I do believe everything comes from God, and he has a good plan for me. I just rely on him, my saviour, my lord. What strikes you about that email? I can't imagine uh, how much Lanaus has had to sacrifice for Jesus. But actually, what stands out for me is something else. It's her tone. Did you catch that? There's not a trace of despair or pride, just faith. Like a little child resting in Jesus' arms, I just rely on him, my saviour, my lord. Verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, who would you rather be? One day, Jesus, in love, could ask any one of us that same question he asked the rich young man, that he asked Manas, will you leave everything to follow me? Will you leave all your treasure on earth for treasure in heaven? The day we make that decision, our place in the kingdom will be clear. But actually, for most of us today, I don't think Jesus is asking us that question. For most of us, it's still possible to hold on to Jesus in one hand and to earthly success in some form 
in the other. So, what is Jesus asking us this morning? I think if Jesus were standing in this room with us today, he would ask us a slightly different question. I think Jesus' question for us today would be this. Would you be a nobody for me and for the gospel? Asked Jesus. Would you be a nobody for me and for the gospel? Or deep down, do you still live for earthly success and just use my name to sanctify your earthly ambitions? Not I want to be rich, but no, I want to be rich for Jesus. No, I want to be famous. I want to be famous for Jesus. To run a successful business for Jesus. To get good grades, to, to get married, to raise a family for Jesus. Really? Well, maybe. Maybe. But here's the test. Would you be a nobody for Jesus and for the gospel? Lots of Christians want to be a somebody for Jesus. But who's ready to be a nobody for Jesus? And it's okay to be a nobody for Jesus. Because Jesus became a nobody for us. Let's pray. A moment of silence before God to search our hearts. Could I be a nobody for Jesus and the gospel?